Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. I imagine with someone like Lenny that does play all the instruments, it's probably a blessing and a curse in a way because, you know, <laughs> He has that connection and understanding of all of it. Um, and so there's probably an instant bond and connection on some level, but then he probably also wants things to kind of be his way because that's how he visualized it and heard it and conceived of it. So there must be a lot of give and take with that. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, he's very much a perfectionist, you know, so he wants to hear certain things a certain way. And like you say, it's, his way that he wants to, to hear it. I mean, he's got, you know, some uh, flexibility, you know, but he really has, you know, an ear for what he wants to hear. And I'm okay with somebody having conviction, you know, and I feel that I can make that happen, you know, um, and I did make that happen. Uh, and I was able to add some things in there that maybe only I would detect, you know, like a rough in front of something or, you know, a flam here or, or, or a swish triplet there, you know, um, or change something, put an accent somewhere else where it wasn't that I think feels good, you know. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I, I actually like a person who has conviction. Carlos has a lot of conviction. You know, there's much more leeway in Carlos's band because Carlos wants to interject John Coltrane, Miles Davis, Tony, Elvin, you know, Hendrix, of course. And, you know, he wants to interject all these things in his music. So there's much more leeway. You know, we have tons of freedom in that band. Um, but he has a lot of conviction in the way and the quality of the music. And, and, and I'm okay with that. I like that because I have a lot of conviction too. And, you know, my band is, is, is very different because I want what I want, but I want everybody to have the freedom to be who they are. That's why I hired them, you know, so I want them to, to have the freedom to be who they are and to interject and bring in their ideas and songs too. You know, I, I don't want things to be just my way because my favorite bands have really a compilation of things that are drawn from all the members, you know. My very favorite band in, in the world is Miles' 60s um, uh, quintet. And the whole band was adding compositions. So Miles was writing, Wayne, you know, 
that band owes a huge part of its sound to Wayne because of all those amazing songs that he wrote. Herbie, all the incredible songs that he wrote. Ron Carter, all the great songs he added. Tony for the great songs that he had added. So there's all of that, you know, with, within that band. Even our Blake and the Jazz Messengers, you know, like Wayne wrote a lot of songs. Bobby Timmons wrote a lot of songs. You know, uh, Benny Colson wrote a lot of songs. All the cats, they added stuff, you know. So I, I really love that. Um, and, you know, one exception to that, you know, might be um, John Coltrane's quartet, you know, but his voice was so big, you know, it's just, please, sir, um, do whatever you like, and we're going to be there and make it happen because <laughs> you are who you are. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a good thing to say about somebody having conviction and having a direction because it sets a course. So I like to have that. But again, I also like to, to have the liberty and the freedom of people to add and to make suggestions even. You know, if I don't like it, I'll say, well, I don't think that that fits or that works or whatever, you know, but I really like to, to have that input because then you get to me a more well-rounded sound, you know, and you get more directions coming in and then your sound changes. It becomes bigger in my opinion. Yeah, well, in Carlos's case, I mean, just, you know, the improvisational elements going on and just really kind of discovering things on stage, you know, as you're going in those directions. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing that I love. Yeah, I love that, too. And, and that happens every night, you know, and we can play, you know, he changes the set list pretty much every night. But if and, and there are certain staples, obviously, that stay because, you know, he has songs that his fan base really identify with him and that he wants to play too. So there are certain staples, but, you know, we change things around. Um, but even in that, you know, we could, if, if we did play the same set list, like five nights in a row, it would sound slightly different every night because we're interjecting different things all the time, you know, so we'll take, you know, five recordings of a song that we've played on five different shows and it's going to have slightly different, um, things added to it and a slightly different feel even maybe, or, you know, just slightly different arrangement even, you know, and, and I think that's very cool. I like that. Uh, for sure. I love that. Lenny though, you kept, you know, the other side of you alive and well, you know, still doing jazz performances and jazz records was that challenging to to balance and to continue those outlets for yourself creatively? No, because I am who I am. You can't change who you are. You can't change your spots. You know, um, one friend of mine said, well, Cindy, you'll, you'll always play creative music because that's the way you were designed. Wallace told me that. And I was like, yeah, you know what, my friend, you are right. Uh, and so, you know, I am who I am. I am who I am no matter what I'm doing. You know, I'll always have the things that I have as my core, the things that I have as my most beloved and most treasured. Um, and so that, that won't ever change. It doesn't matter what I'm doing, that won't ever change. Um, what you add to us, yourself in doing a situation where things are a certain way and they need to be a certain way all the time is discipline. And discipline is a very good thing to have. I do want to mention, um... That, uh, you know, your your initially your first jazz records were, you know, small groups. Uh, you did the trio uh, with Ron Carter. 
which was really cool. And uh, then you kind of start expanding things. So can you speak to that progression a, a little bit? You know, why you um, transitioned like that, if you will, um, and what was going on in the mid to late 90s with your music? Um, you know, just kind of hearing different things and wanting to experiment. Actually, the, the, the record with Brown was, was, was quartet with saxophone, piano, bass, and drums. Um, Robbie Coltrane playing uh, saxophones, um, Jackie Terrison on piano, Ron, of course, on bass, and myself on drums. Um, and, you know, as you hear different things, you want to hear different uh, instrumentation. Um, sometimes bigger, sometimes smaller, sometimes, you know, whatever, you know, different musics. So you write different things and you hear different things on that music. And so it's about that kind of journey for me, you know, to kind of explore what I'm hearing at the moment and, and, and what I want to bring out of, of that music. And then, you know, what pathways and, and, and vehicles we're going to use, you know, sound-wise, song-wise, um, rhythmically, harmonically, uh, it's all inspiring in, in different ways, and it all brings about you know something different in me, and in in the in the rest of the band too. And I got to say, by the time you know you got to us uh, as few years later, music for the new millennium, um, you know the drums were more prominent, you know, in the mix, and I think. Um... <laughs> <laughs> what what made you decide to to you know move the drums so much up forward at that point? Uh my band, my world. I love the drums and I want people to hear the drums, you know. It's like um when you love something, you know, you want other people to experience that and you want them to love it too. You want them to like it like you do. You know, you want them to hear it like you hear it. And uh, I love the drums up front. You know, and my favorite records actually have the drums in a very prominent role in the mix. You know, if you listen to the Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers records, um, especially like um, Indestructible, I mean, those drums are right up front. You know, when he's rolling on those comms, it's, it's, it's incredible. You know, you listen to um, Max Roach and you can hear everything he's playing. It's awesome, you know. Um, and listen to Tony's records and he's got those drums pumping. You know, I, I love that. I love the drums up in the mix. And um, some people don't hear the drums that way, but I'm a drummer, so I do. <laughs> I want the drums to be present, accounted for and heard as well as felt. <laughs> Did you ever like tell Lenny, hey, mix it up higher? <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't have to. You know, when we played, um, like, you know, in our live shows, he would say to to the sound man, man, I want those drums up front. Get the drums up. He liked that, you know. Um, and fortunately, we, we had a sound guy who, who loved to hear big drums, too. So that was never an issue in that band. <laughs> when, you know, when you're uh, getting into a, a pocket, more of a pocket kind of groove, you know, how do you... Um add some fills and some things to it that still keep you in that pocket you know what's the secret sauce secret sauce is to, to to make sure that your fills are in the pocket you know to make sure that your fills are grooving and that they're musical that they add taste that they add excitement you know and then 
that they're at the right time. You know, if you just play something because it's fast and you can play a lick, that may or may not have anything to do with what you just heard, you know, in the last eight bars prior to that. You know, it may have nothing to do with the song. It may not add anything that feels good to the song. It may be just something fast that you can play. Well, I want to play something that adds to, you know, the life and the breath of that song. I want to play something that propels that song, you know. So I think in terms of music, you know, you have to think musically. You can't just think, you know, I want to play something fast here because I can. Well, you can do a lot of things in life that you shouldn't. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, you know. So <laughs> it's nice to be able to, but it's also nice to be able to uh, add things musically where they fit, you know. So that's what I try to do. What are a couple of elements that you would identify as distinctive to the Cindy Blackman style, you know, if if you were explaining it that way? Sound is very important to me. So I'm really into sound. You know, if I play one note and that's all you hear, I want that note to be a great note. So sound is very important for me. Feel is the core of the music. That's extremely important for me. Um, style is very important for me. You know, I never want to sound square and boring. Even if I'm just playing one groove, I want that thing to feel like the earth is moving under your feet, you know. So like, for instance, with Lenny's band, where it's a groove oriented situation, I put every breath, all of my heart and soul into making those grooves sound and feel magnanimous, whether it was the magnanimousness that you need in the ballad, or whether it was that which you need in the biggest rock song ever or the funkiest song ever you know I wanted it to feel great um and so that's that's a that's a fun thing for me you know I want people to feel good and I want the music to feel amazing so I I, I put those elements in and then I love excitement so you know to me the drums are very exciting you know they have a lot of elements the drums have the element of romance I want that in in my sound and in my playing and in my music. They have the element of excitement. Of course, I need to have that in my music. They have the element of surprise. They have the element of, of changing the mood, the tone, the texture, and the color of the music. So I want that in my in my in my music. Um, all these things add to what I'm hearing. And it's genuine because it's the way that I hear. You know, so I'm not just saying, well, I want to add blue here just to add blue here. No, I hear this color there or I hear that rhythm there. So that's therefore I'm going to play it. You know, and especially in my own music where, you know, I can play whatever the heck I want to, you know, but I'm not just playing whatever, just whatever, because I'm playing something because I think it, it, it works musically whether it's a solo that I'm taking, playing over an ostinato or free solo or, you know, uh, free meaning just the drums, um, or whether it's, you know, within the song or whether it's in the head or whatever, um, I'm adding what I think works musically and what I think is exciting, you know, and what I think sounds good. And those kind of elements are, you know, what I would consider to be the core of, of my playing. Do you feel like you're playing more without a net 
when you're you know with Carlos or when you're with your own band? Without a net, I love that title from Wayne Shorter, um, one of my ultimate heroes in every respect. His playing, his 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 composition, and him as a person. So God bless you, Wayne. Love you, love you, love you, love you, and thank you. Um, uh, I'm most without a net with my own band. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and how do you direct those band members? You know, um, do you, you just say do your thing, or do you, you know, what where do you like as a band leader? Um, I would like to think that you know I'm a band leader who um, loves controlled freedom and who respects um, the musicians that she's playing with enough to allow them freedom. You know, I mean, there are certain sections that might need this or that, certain you know things that we need here, and you know we play the form. So there's that. Um, but in and around that, I want people to stretch out. You know, I want people to add what they think works musically. And if there's something that doesn't work musically, then, you know, we just talk about it and we say, well, maybe that choice can be better used somewhere else. You know, maybe we'll use it, but just use it somewhere else. Um, fortunately for me, um, the people that I'm playing with, I feel make great choices and listen very well. And that's key to playing together. You have to listen to each other because when you listen and you let the music guide you, you know, using all your tools, but you're guided by the music, then you're almost always in a good space. You know, and so, you know, I like to be that kind of band leader. My favorite band leaders did that. You know, Miles Davis had things that I believe he wanted he musicians to play, but he gave them freedom. You know, if you listen to the 60s band, my favorite band, of course, and I have to reference that, those cats had a lot of freedom. You know, they were going different ways and experimenting and really pushing the boundaries. Though they played every form, they played around the form, they played in the form. You know, they would sometimes, you know, Wayne would end his solo on the bridge and Herbie would pick up on the bridge or you know, they would end their solo, not at the top of the form, you know, but because they're all listening and because it was all one story that was you know, melding together, it worked because it wasn't looked at as a mistake. It was looked at as a vehicle and as a story to continue. You know? So I, I love that kind of um, thought process from a musician. And I, I need that because that's the way I think. Are, are you big on rehearsals? Yes, to a degree. Absolutely. You know, because I think, it, you know, there are songs that you, you, you want to rehearse. Um, so, you know, the form. But then after that, you know, you just go. And it's not that you don't pay uh, uh, attention to, to the forms or to the songs you do. You know, but you know the songs, you learn the songs, and then you're able to take liberties in and around those songs because you do know them. So once you know, quote unquote, the rules, then you're able to push them here or there and break them, you know, because you know them. 
So yes, I, I think rehearsal is important. I don't want to over-rehearse because then, you know, things can sound too stagnant or too stayed, you know, or too staged. And there are certain things that you don't want to rehearse. You know, um, I don't need to rehearse somebody's solo. Um, although we rehearse the forms and there are solo sections in there. So yeah, we're going to play, you know, but, um, you know, there are certain elements that I don't think are rehearsable, you know, like Wayne said, we're mentioning Wayne. He says, how do you rehearse the unknown? Mm-hmm. And when you're going for the unknown, you can't rehearse that because you don't know it yet. <laughs> it's an exploration. It's a, it's a pathway. It's a story, you know, that you're building as you go. Mm-hmm. So, during the the Lenny shows, um, how rigid were the set lists? You know, was there a lot of changing from night to night, or much flexibility, or pretty much just, you know, was what it was? Um, it usually was what it was, especially uh, well in the early days. Like you know, from when I first joined, nineteen ninety three. You know, he would we had a certain set list, and we would play that set list down. But after the band had been on tour for a while, and we would do long tours, like sometimes for a year. You know, sometimes we tour for a year and a half or two years, you know, so we had some beautifully long tours. Um, So we would, you know, change things around. And sometimes he would just do audibles and just, you know, not go by the set list. Um, But then in the later years, uh, it was very strict with what the set list was. You know, Um, Carlos, for example, will start out with a set list. And sometimes we play that set list exactly as it is written, you know, per songs, even though there's, you know, improvisation in between, but then sometimes he'll call an audible and we're not playing the set list at all. You know, sometimes he won't even tell us, he'll just start playing something. (laughs) We're like, oh, okay, we're going here. Or sometimes he might just, you know, change the arrangement by ending a song in a different spot or adding, you know, start playing another song within that song. And then we just make a segue, you know, but everybody's listening. So we can do that because we're paying attention. You gotta pay attention. <laughs> if you're gonna pay anything, make sure it's attention. <laughs> do, do you ever say, come on, you're killing me here, or you just flow with it? I love it, you know, because it's, it adds an element of surprise. So for me, it doesn't ever kill me. I, I, I love that. And I, I love the fact that in Carlos's case, I love the fact that he has such a huge roller deck so he can go so many different places. So it, it doesn't ever bother me. I like it. <laughs> is there one or two uh, experiences from Lenny on the road that just stick out in your mind for whatever reason like just the crowd was unbelievable or maybe something funny happened or <laughs> a lot of stuff happened on the road that was really cool um you know one concert that that sticks out there there are many concerts that stick out um my very first huge rock concert always sticks out in my head. And that was um, at, uh, what was it called? Pink Pop in the Netherlands. And, and there were like 70,000 people there. And it was the first time I ever played in front of that many people. <laughs> and it was, it was in the summer. And so most people, especially like the guys all had their shirts off. So you saw people doing this wave thing. So you just saw a sea of skin. And people were just doing this. And so at first, it really messed with my equilibrium because I hadn't seen that, you know, in those kind of numbers ever. And I was like, whoa, I had to stop. In order to, to really focus and play, I had to stop looking at the audience. 
I couldn't look at them. Uh, so that always sticks out. And, and that was a lot of fun. I had a, 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 a great time on that show. But it was my first time playing for that many people. Um, New Orleans Jazz Festival with Lenny sticks out because there was most of the times that we did that show, there were like upwards of 100,000 people. Mm. And those were amazing shows. Um, there was, um, let's see. Oh, the show in Rio, um, Rock in Rio. That was incredible. Um, there were so many people there. It was just jam packed with people on, on, on uh, the beach uh, at Ipanema. And I believe that's where it was. And it was like wall to wall people. In fact, we had to be escorted walking from our hotel across the street to the bandstand. I mean, there were so many people, it was incredible. And the crowd was so amazing and so full of life and energy. It was, it was really awesome. Um, the first time I played for a huge audience in Japan, and I had played actually prior to that uh, at Mount Fuji, which was, you know, Mount Fuji Jazz Festival, which was a huge, huge audience. Um, but the first time with Lenny, I think was, um, at Budokan and it was really trippy because we played this amazing show and the audience was like this. They were so quiet and so polite and I thought, wow, they didn't like us at all. <laughs> and then after the concert, they were like rushing us and telling us it was so incredible. I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. You know, so it was actually pretty incredible to see the audiences in Japan change from 93 to you know what it got to be in later years when they started really opening up and expressing more. Because at first they were very quiet and very polite and they're always very polite, which is a beautiful thing about Japan. The people, you know, the culture is so sweet and so lovely. Um, but it was nice to see them blossom and open up and really you know, uh, show how they felt about about the music that that's always been an interesting thing um and then we've had some you know incredible moments like we played um the fashion uh, fashion show awards uh with Iggy Pop and then we also played uh, one year with James Brown so James Brown played with 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 us and we played with, with James um it was James Brown and his guitar player added I think in a couple of his horns added to our horn section and of course we had our guitar player, Craig and, and our bass player, Jack and, and Lenny and our keyboard player, George and myself, our horn players, uh, Harold and, and, and George. And I think there were a couple of, of James Brown horn players that he added in his guitar player, like I said. And uh, it was so incredibly funky. That was so amazing. And, and afterwards, <laughs> James's manager came over to me and he says, <clears throat> uh, uh, Ms. Blackman, um, Mr. Brown, uh, you know, he he wants to know if you'd be interested in joining his band. I was like, James Brown wants me to join his band? Are you kidding? Wow. And I was like, well, I, you know, I'm really happy playing with, with Lenny. I, I love the band I'm playing with. I said, he would at least need to match, you know, my salary. And he says, well, what are you making? And I said, well, I'm making X dollars a week. He said, oh, no, 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 Mr. Brown would never pay that. <laughs> That was pretty funny. Um, our tour uh, with Lenny with um, 
with uh, Robert Plant was amazing, you know, because we kind of got to know Robert and asked him questions. Uh, we also did, um, with Lenny, we did uh, the um, MTV Awards one year. And um, our bass player was kind of MIA. So we had to start auditioning bass players, which is, um, and that was early on. That's how we got Jack Daly in the band. Um, first, I'll just say, you know, we auditioned in one day, we auditioned 90 bass players and each of those bass players played, are you going to go my way? And they played um, something else. I think a blues and maybe a song of their choice. So I played with 90 bass players, three songs each in one day. And then the next day we had about 50 or 60 people that came. Um, and the following day we had two bass players, Jack Daly and another one. And, and Jack was the one, you know, for that band, he was amazing. So of course we chose Jack. And while Jack was learning the music in two days, we had the uh, MTV Music Awards to play. So Lenny was like, okay, you know, Jack, I just want him to focus because right after that, when the next day we were going on tour, you know, so we had a big, huge tour, Europe, US, you know, Australia, everything, everywhere that we were going, I forget exactly where, but you know, we had this big world tour that we were going to do. So Lenny called John Paul Jones to play the, um, the award show with us. And that was incredible. John Paul Jones said, yes, <laughs> that was the first amazing thing, which is a testament to him, you know, loving uh, Lenny. But he came and he played with us and it was absolutely awesome. We got to hear tons of stories from him. And then after we did the award show, um, we all went to this party and John Paul Jones was there with his wife. And uh, he came over to me and he says, Cindy, you know, in his beautiful uh, uh, British accent, he says, I, I danced with, with John Bonham and my wife says, it's okay if I now dance with you. Would you like to dance with me? And I was like, yes, of course I would. So he took me on the bandstand and we danced. It was awesome. I really mm -hmm. loved it, you know, and to hear the perspective about that band and about John Bonham from John Paul Jones, and then to hear it from uh, Robert Plant was amazing to put those two things together. So those were some, some really awesome, uh, moments that 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 we had with, with Lenny's band yeah wow <laughs> half of half of Zeppelin right there yeah absolutely oh man you know I know that uh Lenny was friends with Prince and I know that Carlos is one of Prince's idols and I know they also met uh they didn't collaborate too much from what I know uh, but I was just curious if you ever got to meet or spend any time with Prince yeah, he he and like you said, he and Lenny were, were really good friends. And he came to um, a rehearsal that we were doing for the Rock and Roll is Dead uh, record. And um, we were at rehearsal rehearsing. And, and so Lenny said, you know, uh, tell the guys I'm going to bring Prince by, you know, uh, and he's going to bring his gear. He's going to play with us. So we're like, oh, this is exciting. So we're rehearsal, rehearsing, rehearsing. You know, nobody ever showed up, stopped and played ping pong. Nobody ever showed up, we rehearsed some more, stopped and we ate, nobody ever showed up. Finally, they show up, Lenny comes in. <laughs> and before Prince come, comes in, he had just come out with this perfume. 
you know, I don't know what it was called, but he just came up with some perfume line. And so before I think it was called, I think, in, I think it was called Get Wild, maybe. Was it Get Wild? Is that what it was? I didn't even know what it was called. But before he, he comes into the rehearsal room, his assistant or somebody with him, I guess it's his assistant, the guy comes in spraying the perfume. <laughs> and then in walks Prince. And so we start playing, you know, we're playing the stuff for, you know, that's for him to hear so we can hear the record. And, uh, he actually didn't bring his guitar, but he goes over to the organ and he just looked at George. And of course, George got up and let him play. So he played organ that day with us. And um, that was really fun too. And it was great to, to, to meet him. He's such a cool person and such a talent. Um, and then we played a, a show in, a, he came to a couple rehearsals of ours uh, at different times. Um, and then we played a show in Florida and it was an outside venue. I forget what the venue was, but an outside venue. And um, so we heard that he was there, you know, at the show. And I look over at the side of the stage and I see him standing there with his guitar. So, you know, Lenny had said, well, hopefully he's gonna sit in. And, uh, you know, I look and see him standing there while we're playing. We get to the, the end of the night and um, Lenny is getting ready to announce him and, and, and bring him on to sit in. And so when he announced him, now he's over here and the bass is, the bass player is here with the bass rig and I'm here, guitar Craig is here and Lenny's in the center. Well, he came, he walked over behind the bass player, walks over in front of me and he goes, mm -hmm. like it's on, you know? And then he goes up front and he rips, he tore it up, you know, it was incredible. So that, that, that was an amazing, day you know he, he 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 smoked he sounded really great yeah he, he was awesome <laughs> i figured he might dig you especially because you know he had at least two female drummers you know with Sheila e and then with hannah welton later on and so you know i know he was hopefully, definitely... hopefully there was more than than just the female element i'm, I'm hoping you know but um, well sure but, but... He was he was he was really cool and in the and he and Carlos you know were were really good uh, uh, friends too, and um, I know that when he did his Carlos told me that when uh, Prince had done his uh, collaboration with Larry Graham, um, Carlos told me that he had seen Larry Graham play somewhere, and he said he called Prince and he was like, man, you you guys should 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 do something you know you you and Larry Graham should get together. Prince listened, you know, and then you saw what that collaboration was. That was pretty amazing. So I know those two were, they were pretty tight. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I saw them. Um, I think they were on tour together in the mid nineties um, down in Southern California. That's where I was living then. That's where I'm from, Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it was uh, Santana, Prince, and um, it was the Emancipation Tour. You know, oh, okay. the jam of the year tour, 96 around there. Yeah. 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 Carlos told me that they've played opposite each other several times, you know. Yeah. He said it was always awesome and always fun. Yeah. Yeah. With Prince, though, I think he held uh, Carlos in such reverence that, you know, I think he was a little bit shy in terms of, you know, really putting himself out there with him, you know. Um, yeah. I, I, I heard. Um, my friend Kat Dyson, who used to play with with Prince, great guitar player, uh, she told me that um, you know 
often, you know, Prince would play Santana songs and he would say, this is the energy that I want you guys to have, you know, which is a huge compliment. It's a heck of a compliment to, mm. to Carlo, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just to kind of close the, the book on Lenny Kravitz, um, what would you say among his multitude of talents, what's his greatest talent? Um, I think his ear is, is probably his greatest talent because he has a really great ear for songs. Um, I think he's got several talents. Um, his singing is incredible. He's a fantastic singer. I saw him audition five singers, five background singers one time. He was showing them parts and I was mesmerized because his voice was bigger than all five of them together. And it was just, and it wasn't like obnoxiously loud or harsh or anything. It's just that he had a this big, huge voice, you know? So uh, that's an amazing trait of his. And then he can, you know, play all the rhythmic instruments. He can get on the clavy and play the piano, you know, and um, not necessarily as a soloist, but he feels great. You know, his guitar playing is real funky. You know, then he's funky on the drums. You know, he gets on the bass and he's funky on the bass. You know, so he has a, a, a knack for, for, for that, which is good because then he knows what he wants, you know, from, from, from each element in the band. Um, and he knows how to ask for it, you know, which makes communication, as we were talking about earlier, it makes communication really easy. Um, with all of his hit songs, you hear that he has an, uh, an ear for melody and for really reaching people with the songs that he that he writes. So he's got a multitude of of talents there. He's 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 amazing. There's there's really nobody in his lane for what he does. He's he's like got his own he's got his own lane. <laughs> you ever see that movie um, uh, Coming to America? Yeah. So remember when uh, 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 the the girls the girlfriend's father discovered that um, Eddie Murphy was a prince and he had his own money. You know he said he's got his own money. No, no, he's got his own money. <laughs> it's like that, you know. So he's got his own lane, and you know it's amazing to work with people that have that. Carlos has that too. There's nobody in Carlos's lane, you know, among all the greats that are out there, and there are some greats, but he's got his own lane because nobody can play a melody and <laughs> nobody can deliver a melody on guitar like Carlos can. I mean, he's right. got his own, you know, thing. And then, you know, there's John McLaughlin who I've happily played with and, and will play with again, actually. I love him like crazy. He's got his own lane too. There's nobody that does what he does. So it's amazing to be around people who've carved, you know, their own niche and have their own thing. It's, it's very inspiring. Yeah, well, for sure, Carlos is one of the most unique sounds ever in uh, rock music. Um, yeah. So you guys connected in 2010, was it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how, how did you get in the group? Um, you know, initially, uh, when he called me, it was to sub uh, for his drummer at the time was Dennis Chambers. And, and Carlos booked... Uh, a show that was, you know, off of their tour. And Dennis had already booked another 
tour. So he was going to be away and not able to make that, you know, show. Um, so that's how, you know, I initially played with him. And we had met um, br very briefly uh, in Europe when Santana and Lenny played on the same festival in Germany. Um, and it was just a, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. I mainly hung with Dennis because I've, I've known him. We've been pen pals since I was 14. You know, I've known him <laughs> since I was a kid. Uh, so he's like my big brother. So, you know, I was hanging with him, got to, you know, just meet Carlos to say, hi, nice to meet you. Um, but in 2010, I guess Carlos had seen some, you know, he'd heard some of my stuff and he'd seen me play with Lenny and he, he had seen me on some Volkswagen commercials that I did. And I think maybe that kept, me fresh in his head or something. I'm not quite sure. Um, but, you know, he said that something told him to call me to, to sub for that gig. So that's how we, we initially played together. And um, after that, um, we started to connect on other levels because um, his spiritual path, the music that we, we both loved, and, you know, we just got along really well. So then we became a couple and I wasn't playing in his band at that time. Um, he changed drummers and had a different drummer, uh, Pepe Jimenez. Um, and at one point he said, you know, Cindy, I, I, I really thought about hiring you, but some of the guys in, in, in my camp said, no, you don't want to do that because you're a couple now and that won't be a good idea. You don't want to bring that to the bandstand. You don't want to tour together and be married too. You know, you don't want to do that. So he said he, he listened to that, but then he was like, well, there's some elements of your playing that I want in this band. You know, he said, so what do you think about that? Do you, you know, how do you, how would you feel about that? Do you think that we could handle that? And I said, yeah, we're two mature people. And I said, for me, I don't bring my personal stuff to the bandstand unless it's personal positive stuff. You know, um, I respect the bandstand and I believe that you respect the bandstand too. Uh, the bandstand to me is like prayer, you know, so whoever is bandstand I'm on, they're getting my full attention. And I'm, you know, basically quote unquote married to that situation because I want that music to happen and I respect that space. Um, so he said, you know, I feel the same way. I think it can work. And so 2016, um, and I was 2014 and 15, I was touring with, with Lenny again. And in 2016, Carlos and I decided, you know, to, to play together. So that's when I joined his band. So it's only been six or seven years now. And then you take out the pandemic years. So it hasn't been that long, really, that you've been playing with Carlos. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, do you remember the first show with Carlos though, back in 2010? What that was like? The first show that I subbed or the first show that the, the first, first oh 2010. Yeah, of course I do. Yeah. Um, and I was <laughs> I was concerned because when I listened to, you know, uh, some of their show tapes, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of stuff happening here. There's a lot of hits, segues. How am I gonna remember all that? Goodness, that's a lot of stuff. So Fortunately, uh, he invited me to Las Vegas because they were doing then uh, a residency at uh, the Hard Rock, playing in the joint, uh, that, that club. And so he invited me to you know, come and listen to the band so, so I could really see what was going on and sit in if I wanted to. Uh, and so I came for that weekend and I, I listened to the band. I sat in a little bit, you know, but I was able to really see and feel their segues. So that prepared me 
for the, the show that I did, but I was still, you know, nervous and concerned about it because I wanted to be good. But I remember that, that first show, it was really, it felt really free. Um, some of the freedom was because I didn't know the music that well, <laughs> honestly. Um, and some of it was because it was a new situation, you know, and um, it was, you know, with new um, elements, you know, new impetus, new feels from 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 the band, you know, new new bass player, new guitar player, you know, new everybody. Um, so that was that was pretty amazing. And then you know, it just kind of started to gel, um, certainly on that first show. And then after that, years later, when I joined the band, I had I had been sitting in, you know, when we were a couple. If I was would go on the road with him, I would, you know, sit in um, on the shows. Um, so I was already building a, a familiarity and then hearing the music, I already knew the, the set list pretty much. Um, so, you know, it, it made joining the band a whole lot easier than coming in cold. Mm -hmm. Did Dennis also give you some pointers or not really? Um, you know, when I was sitting in, um, you know, when I first came in uh, in 2010, when I was sitting in when they were at the joint, um, you know, he he uh, basically, you know, he would stand over by the side and was just like, all right, you're on your own, girl. Um, but there were times when he would say, okay, this is the, we're, we're in this section of the song. Um, or he would say, okay, now it's the, the, that section. Okay, now you're free. Just go play what you want. You know, because when it got to a certain point where it was just go, he would say, yeah, just go. Now just play. And then he would just go over there and stand and watch. <laughs> Probably laughing if I made a mistake. I don't know. He's got that kind of goofy personality. <laughs> We're laughing at his little sister. Oh, she made a mistake there. I don't know. I'm just teasing. But yeah, he, you know, that was basically the extent of it. He was like, girl, just go. <laughs> and what... Uh... Well, first off, was there anything in the repertoire that was particularly challenging or did you kind of, you know? I learned the stuff, you know, so, you know, it, 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 when you're prepared, then things are, are less challenging. My biggest thing was the nervousness of being able to make it sound good and make it feel good. You know, even after I, I knew the stuff, I'm like, okay, I want to make this sound good. I want to make it feel good, you know, and I want to inspire the band. That was my biggest thing. Um, the arrangements were a challenge because, you know, I, as I said, you know, there were so many cues and hits and segues, you know, but I, I learned that some of that was just cued as they were going. You know, because I'm like, oh, do I have to, you know, how many bars was that? That was 13 bars there. That was 26 bars. Oh, my goodness. I got to count 26 bars in that little section. Okay. <laughs> so I made my notes. I, I like to make notes. So I make notes here and there. And then some of the notes had nothing to do with what we were doing. So I realized, okay, there's a certain degree of notes that I can make, you know, like for the arrangements of the songs where they're set, you know. But then after that, it's just, you know, you have to listen. Um, so that kind of was the, the, the biggest challenge. Um, and like I said, making things feel good. And then, you know, you got, you're flanked with, with 
percussion. So you got these two guys on, on both sides. You know, I got Carl on, on my right side and, and, and um, at this point is Paoli Mejia. Um, uh, it was uh, Raul Rico was the first um, percussionist when I started seeing the band, but now there's Paoli. And, and so you have these two guys. So finding a balance and sharing the rhythm section is one thing. And, and that's one thing that, that, that Dennis said to me, um, actually not in trying to teach me, but really just in our talks about, you know, dealing with that band, he was like, yeah, I gotta I have to share the, the rhythmic space. And then when I got in the band, I really understood what he meant when he was talking about that, because you do. You know, you've got to let that person speak and you got to let this person speak, but you need to speak too. You know, so there's a whole kind of passing the ball that goes on and that needs to go on and a sharing that needs to go on without you losing your voice. So everybody has to really be respectful of the other person, but respectful of themselves too, but also share with everybody so that everybody can speak. So there's, you know, kind of a way to juggle all of the things that that need to happen and then support everything as well you know so there's that too <laughs> uh did you feel always feel comfortable with latin type rhythms and you know is that something that you glommed to or had a lot of experience playing as well i didn't have a lot of experience playing them no i didn't actually i always loved them and loved listening because you know that's a lot of, you know, the Latin rhythms are really African rhythms, you know, and so since, you know, the music comes from Africa, of course, I love those rhythms and I, I, I play those rhythms, but I hadn't played them in this way, nor to this extent in this way. Um, so that's one thing that has been really nice for me, it's been a great experience. And, you know, again, Paoli and Carl, they know so many rhythms, it's like, oh, Dude, what's the name of that? What's that one? What's that one you just played? That's that's what was that one? <laughs> Wait a minute, I gotta get that one. Oh, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> yeah, because they know so many. And Carlos knows so many. You know, it's amazing because he he knows. And so he'll just call something out and he'll say, Carl, can you give me a such and such? Or Paoli, can you play this or whatever? You know, so he's he's felt very well versed. So it it really makes me uh become more knowledgeable, you know, because I need to be. You know, and I want to be, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice space to be in. I love rhythm, of course. That's why I play drums. <laughs> well, I find the uh, evolution of your rhythmic vocabulary just fascinating, though, you know, coming from the jazz and, you know, some of the pop type and funk influences, but then the rock and then some Latin, you know, and it's very interesting journey that you've been on. Oh, thank you. I love it all. I think it's amazing. And I love putting it all together, you know, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I love Tony Williams so much, because in his bands, that's what he did, starting with, with Lifetime, you know, he invented jazz rock, which later became fusion, which to me is in many ways, a watered down version of what he did, because he really did mix jazz and rock together, you know, and that was a very pure way that he did that. He also had, you know, um, Indian influences and Brazilian influences. Um, so he mixed all that stuff together. And that's one of the things that, that really attracts me to 
his bands into his playing because he has all of those elements. And even with the other bands that he had later, you know, he has all that stuff in there. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I truly love and adore that. And I love exploring, you know, cause it's, not only is it fun, not only is it, you know, part of the history and lineage of, of the rhythmic ride and, and, you know, and the drums and the drums as we know them in this format, cause they came from this and now we develop them into this format. Um, but it also helps you grow and, you know, you, you find new things to play, you know, new ways to approach something, you know, and I love that. I love learning. You know, I'm so excited when I can learn something, even if it seems like it's this little thing or if it's this big thing, it was great for me. You know, I love that because it inspires me, you know, and I can, I can grow and growth is to me, one of the most important things that you can have as a musician and as a person, you know, I love that uh, tribute you did to Tony, that album, Another Lifetime, is a definite highlight. And if there's any viewers or listeners that aren't familiar with that one, got to check it out for sure. Um, and you, you had so many great players on there too, like Patrice Russian and and uh, Vernon Reed and uh, Stern and just on and on. And that was a really great uh, accomplishment. It must have been um, cathartic, I'm thinking, to put that together. It was awesome. I mean, you're talking when you're adding Patrice and 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 Vernon, you're you're actually um, combining, um, a, a, you know, a couple of different you know musical um, settings or or you know groups. Um, but you know, Mike Stern is amazing. Patrice is amazing. Uh, David Santos on bass is amazing. Vernon Ver, Vernon is amazing. I love him. You know. We've played together. We're going to play together again uh, with uh, Vernon and myself. Um, I have uh, a concert that I'm doing uh, in June, June 14th of 2023 uh, for the uh, San Francisco Jazz Festival. And we're going to do two parts to that night. The first night, the first part of that night will be my band and, and our music, you know, my music and our music that we play in that band. And this, and that will be with my band. Um, and then the second portion will be, uh, they wanted me, they asked me if I wanted to do a tribute to, to Tony Williams. And of course I said, absolutely. So that's gonna be with Vernon and, and John Modeski. Um, so that'll be that'll be fun. And, and some of the guys from my band might jump on over there like Felix Pastorius on bass uh, because on the second Lifetime record, um, the first Lifetime record was trio with organ guitar and drums that Tony did. But the second one, they added Jack Bruce on bass, which is cool. And then I played with um, Spectrum Road, which was Jack Bruce on bass, Vernon and uh, John Modeski. Um, so that was that was also cool. So this will be a, a great reunion for us and maybe even spur Spectrum Road to do some stuff uh, in the coming, you know, maybe 2025, hopefully we can do some stuff. I don't know. This is in my head, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing, but in my head, yeah, we're going to be touring in 2025. <laughs> Very we'll cool see. stuff. Very cool stuff. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.